Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome in, everybody, to Scout's Eye on College and Pro Football. I am Chris Landry. Here with you for another hour or so, maybe a little less. Uh, a little more, depending upon comments, questions that you might have in the world of football. Always great to be with you. Um, we really appreciate all the support everyone has given us. As take a little bit of a time here to take a, a breath, and we're into the new year. Can't believe we're already past the midpoint of January. Uh, but want to really thank the folks that have been very, very supportive to what we're doing here and um, following us. Uh, watching us live on Twitch TV. By the way, if you have not taken advantage of that, subscribe. Very easy. Just very easy, simple. Subscribe to the Chris Landry Football Twitch channel and uh, cheer us on a few bits and let us know you're there. Uh, join us in the comment section by signing up. It's free to do so. You sign up, you get notification when we are doing a podcast. So make sure that you uh, check it out. Also, make sure that you check out LandryFootball.com where we have all the latest uh, inside news and information around coaching searches, the film room breakdowns. We've got it all for you. So take advantage of that. Today, we've got a few things that we want to get into. I want to focus a little bit on uh, specifically small picture and then branch it out big picture as it relates to um, pursuing of coaches in the coaching search world, uh, assistant coaches and kind of protocol and what's happened. And I'm going to go into details about what happened uh, with the LSU pursuit of Ryan Nielsen and the Saints. A lot of misinformation out there. We're going to clear that up, truly what happened. And there's always a lot of information that is backwards, um, based upon who's doing the reporting. So we appreciate also going to address any questions that you might have. Join us in the comment section. I see uh, uh, Kev Belargo. Thank you so much, Kev, uh, joining us and cheering us on 100 pitch. Uh, really appreciate you. Um, and again, any questions we'll take. Uh, some news and notes off the top. Uh, did uh, speak this morning over at Alabama, Doug Marone. Uh, is on campus at Alabama, and uh, it is uh, all but virtually cleared up that he's going to be the offensive line coach. You're not going to hear any official wording there. You're going to see one press release at some point that's going to announce, you know, all the changes that they've made and the roles and what have you. Do it once. So he does it. 
So anybody that's thinking, well, I don't get this. I don't understand why they don't do it like other people. Okay. And, and you'll hear the rumors, you hear the talk, but, uh, it is, uh, not, not done the same way over there. It's done, um, with, um, with a little bit of a different approach. Uh, but Doug Marone, uh, is going to be the offensive line coach. He's already on campus, already doing some work as is Bill O'Brien. Now there's always subject of things can happen. We're talking about two guys that are NFL head coaches recently that are, you know, other options may come around here in the next few days or a week that could change it, but, uh, it doesn't look like that's going to be the case. Um, The other part of the process is just more of an understanding of how Nick goes about putting certain things together and putting people in the mix and kind of having a role and almost kind of having a, what I call a trial period. It's kind of unique and he's in a unique situation where he brings guys in. They're basically spend some time together. They've, they're not under contract. There's nothing ethically wrong. They can come in, kind of learn, kind of do some work, write some reports, have some meetings with certain key personnel. And in essence, you've got a, what amounts to maybe a week, two weeks, a month long interview before you get anything done. So, uh, that that's kind of what's going on there. Um, <clears throat> some other news we're waiting on the Texans too many names to mention, but I, I think we're going to have that cleared up pretty quickly. The Eagles as well. The other head coaching um, options in the NFL have been pretty much filled, well, have been filled officially. Uh, so we've got you up to date on everything over at LandryFootball.com and our coaching search notebook. So you want to take advantage of it. If you're not yet a member, uh, you should do so. We've got that covered for you, as I mentioned as well as all the film room breakdowns, break down all the rosters in college football, the NFL, recruiting, the draft, you name it, we've got it for you. Um, so got some other news, and again, we won't go into all the details uh, for different positions and, and what's going on in different stops. We'll leave that for Landry football. But wanted to address something <clears throat> that has come out recently, and certainly yesterday it came out. And for those of you that are members of LandryFootball.com, you read in our coaching search notebook over the weekend, or maybe it was Friday or Monday, I forget, days run together, that we thought that Ryan Nielsen was not going to LSU, that he was going to stay with the Saints. And there's been a lot of talk and a lot of, you know, we're in the information age, right? So that means we're also in the misinformation age. Um, so what has happened in the modern day as a story gets legs. And if it's repeated enough, even if it's false, you know, people repeat it as fact. Uh, so let me just kind of give you a little bit. Who is Ryan Nielsen? Ryan Nielsen was a defensive lineman at USC back in the early two thousands. He played for Pete Carroll. Uh, Ed Orgeron was on the staff there with Pete Carroll and, um, young guy, bright young guy wanted to get into coaching. Uh, Pete got him, um, a GA job at Idaho for his first job. Worked his way around the profession. And most recently had been at North Carolina State. Did a very good job. The Bradley Chubbs of the world. Taking a lot of guys that were, quite frankly, middling level recruits and developed them. Good players. You know, 
solid players, and he's gotten a lot out of them. Really good. He, um, known Ryan for a while. He pursued NFL jobs for a while, had an interest in getting into the next level. When the Saints were looking to make a move on their um, offensive line, uh, defensive line, rather, um, to their last hiring cycle for that position, they interviewed him along with the other folks. They wanted to make sure that he was committed to coaching in the NFL, meaning, you know, what you have to be careful of. And I think that people sometimes look at it and say, well, you never should stand in the way of somebody's advancement. Yeah, that's true. You're correct. And good coaches, good leaders want to make sure that their guys get properly trained and advance and, and embrace the fact that they're going to move on. But there's a lot more behind the scenes that the public doesn't know. And so one of the things that they did with Ryan is they were looking at some veteran NFL defensive line coaches, <clears throat> but they decided to give Ryan a shot with the idea that, look, we're going to groom you for the NFL because coaching in college, you have a lot of ability, but you need to be groomed to do a good job in the NFL. And this is what we're going to, this is what we're going to do. We're, we're not going to train you so that you can jump back into college in two years after we've trained you. Because in essence, you're not quite as qualified as we'd ideally like, but we like the work ethic. We like the skill set that you have. We just need to teach you what you need to know to be successful at this level. And we think you can learn it. And boy, did he do a really good job um, with the defensive line. But when they hired him, they put a clause in his contract that he could not leave for a college job unless it was a got permission from the Saints, meaning they didn't want the quick jump. You got to be careful with some of these young guys. They're looking for the leverage game. They have ability, but they're looking to to hop. And, and sometimes it's you got to be careful that you're not being used because you're putting money and resources and time to develop a guy. Again, if they're looking for someone that's, the most experienced and most qualified, it wouldn't have been Ryan Nielsen. They groomed him and made him into a really good uh, NFL D-line coach. He was a good D-line coach. So they put a clause in his contract. Okay? He was fine with it. Ryan says, um, you know, I'm good. I'm committed to being in the NFL. I'm fine with it. Well, as you know, by now, LSU, a little bit of trouble finding their defensive coordinator. Went after Marcus Freeman, University of Cincinnati defensive coordinator. He decided to go to Notre Dame. Um, and again, the real story behind that, I told you that it was, yeah, he liked the Midwest, and he, but he also liked Notre Dame. He also liked Brian Kelly and the stability that Brian Kelly presents <clears throat> more stable than the situation at LSU. So the fact that, you know, he got an offer from LSU and he, you know, there's, there's a misperception about he was common. He said, the bottom line is, is he's ended up where he wanted and he got a little bit more money out of Notre Dame by the mere fact that somebody else in this case, LSU was interested. So they lose out on him. They have since interviewed a few other people. But the guy that Ed Orgeron wanted all along was Ryan Nielsen of the Saints because he knows Ryan. 
and Ryan's a bright young coach. He's never been a defensive coordinator at any level. But he likes him, comfortable with him, and I think he felt like he's very hireable because of the connection. Well, again, we just talked about the clause in the contract. There's a protocol. First of all, let me back up. For people wondering, why would you have a clause in about the the college? Don't they have the NFL? The NFL is is clear cut and written. You can't, you couldn't leave and go and become a a, a position coach at another NFL team if you're under contract. Excuse me. You can become a coordinator. But again, that's clearly defined and within the structure of the league. College football, the NFL, they kind of cross-pollinate, but there's no rules that affects both. They're two different entities. So you can generate clauses and contracts to protect yourself. And that's what the Saints did initially because they thought this might happen with Ryan and didn't want to lose him unless it was truly a situation that they felt was to their to their benefit and to Ryan's benefit. Well, you know by now that for people who are not aware of how Joe Brady went to LSU, Joe Brady was part of a clinic that LSU went to the Saints to ask for help. How can we fix our offense? The Saints agreed to come down, do a clinic. Joe Brady was a part of that clinic. Steve Insminger, who was the then offensive coordinator, very impressed, went to Ed Ogeron and said, we need to hire this guy. So it wasn't like Ed founded Joe Brady. It was, hey, we need to bring this guy. This guy's really good. He can, you know, and you know the whole Joe Brady story by now. But the point is, is so the Saints go in and help LSU, and they hired Joe Brady. Okay, it's fine. It was a good advancement for Joe. Um Sean Payton was a little concerned for Joe in that knowing Joe wanted to be in the NFL, he said, look, you, you've, you've got a good opportunity to go in the NFL. If you go in college and if it doesn't work out, then it's tougher to get back in the NFL and work your way up to where you ultimately want to be. Fortunately for Joe Brady, he had, he hit it great. He had great talent and he did a great job. And he parlayed one year as a coordinator at LSU to get the coordinator job in the Panthers, which is where he wants to be in the NFL. So the Saints have always helped, and Sean Payton has always helped and worked with LSU. Uh, that's a that's one big example. Two, <clears throat> so this time around, Ed Argeron does not go through Mickey Loomis or Sean Payton, which is typical protocol. Okay, it's not law; it's just common courtesy in the football coaching profession. You don't just call somebody again, not asking for it. Listen, I like to speak with Sosa. Now, if they say no, you can still do it, but at least you've done the courtesy. Look, I'd like to, and want to speak with Ryan, um, so on and so forth. Had they done that, they would have found out about the clause in the contract and perhaps wouldn't have put all their eggs in the Ryan Nielsen basket. LSU did not do their homework. The administration, any everyone involved did not was not aware of the clause in the contract. And Ryan didn't share it with them. Um don't know why, didn't. I guess well, he's pursuing the job, and I think he's hoping that maybe 
either he gets the LSU job and that's what he really wants, or he's at least getting pursued and it helps him with the Saints. More on that in a second. So it was not really approached right by Ed Orgeron. Look, it is not up to the Saints, Sean Payton, or any NFL team to groom a coaching staff for LSU or any other college. Okay. It is the right thing to do to groom and develop coaches, put together a staff that's going to help your organization grow and have optimal success. And in that process, guys will move on and you're prepared for that. And you help work with your staff to you communicate with your boss, the head coach, you explain what your goals are. And if he can help you, he will. If you are kind of trying to do things behind the back and, and you're, you know, maybe trying to create a leverage situation outside the building become a little bit of an issue. Don't know that's hundred percent what happened with Ryan, but, but it certainly sounds like it, but the issue is you are responsible for working and developing your staff to groom for your organization. Um, I mean, it's up to LSU to identify and develop their coaches and it's pretty obvious it's something that Ed Orgeron's really flawed at because the only guy that's really been good has been Joe Brady. And it really wasn't Ed. Ed is the head coach, and he he put rubber stamp the heart. But that was – thank Steve Insminger for that. Ed didn't identify Joe Brady as the guy. But now, think about it. They can't hire an offensive coordinator at LSU. So they go out, they go to Joe Brady and say, Joe, who can run your offense? I mean, they're like, they can't find coordinators. They can't figure things out defensively. Dave Aranda leaves for Baylor. Ed Orgeron, bad mouths Dave Aranda. That is bad news in the coaching profession. You don't do that. Even if you think it's warranted, you don't do that that gets around the coaching profession and you get a bad reputation as a head coach is somebody that's a snake. So they hired Bo Pelini and Ed wanted, it was a disaster. They hired Scott Linehan one year. Both of those guys are gone. It's a bad look for assistant coaches coming in. What am I getting into? What am I getting into? Yeah, there's a lot of money. But, you know, I, you know, if, you, if I've got other options, I'm probably going to make more money and have more stability somewhere else because I don't know what's happening here. When are they going to pull the plug on Ed Orgeron if he keeps pulling the plug on assistance after one and done? It's a bad look. And I'm not saying it's not that the performance wasn't warranted making changes. The issue is when you can't make the right decisions and get the right people in, it leads to you having to make one and done decisions. So, look, the Saints have no problem with Ryan Nielsen's growth. In fact, they told Ryan Nielsen, you're a big part of what we want to do. The Saints lost Dan Campbell, their assistant head coach and tight end coach, to the Lions. Dan is bringing with him as defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn, the secondary coach of the Saints. Dennis Allen, who's the defensive coordinator of the Saints, is interviewing for the Philadelphia Eagles job. Now, I don't think he's going to get that, 
but he might. But he's been a head coach in the NFL before. He's done a tremendous job with that Saints defense, and he's probably going to get a head coaching job in soon. So, again, you spend the time and the money to develop a Ryan Nielsen in. You don't want to lose the entire staff. You want to have some stability. And, you know, say, well, why not make him coordinated? He's not earned, and he's not, you're not going to get rid of Dennis Allen to promote him. He's not quite ready yet to be a defensive coordinator in the NFL. He's trending that way. College, different story. He's never called plays. Now, that contract that he was under, they didn't hold him to that contract. They said, here's what we'll do. They gave him a new three-year deal, more money, assistant head coach. Can't give him the defensive coordinator title. Dennis Allen's the defensive coordinator until he's not. They're going to let Ryan become a little bit more involved in coordinating the run game defensively. It's a way to help Ryan, but to keep him. Why is it, and again, this is from the LSU fans, went to school at LSU. First coaching job was at LSU. They're 10 minutes down the road from where I'm speaking. It is so naive and ignorant for fans to be so myopic and thinking that, well, they should let him go. It's a problem. No, that's not the response. If the saints want him and have done right by him and want him to stay and have a contract and they can not only honor that contract, but even give him more, why in the hell should they be saddled with having to develop the staff for themselves and develop them? For a college program. What the hell type of logic is that? But that's what you're getting now. Oh, I hate Sean Payton. That's fine. I, I couldn't care less who people hate or like. Just wanting to let people understand how it works, the proper procedures. You certainly communicate. You ask permission. You want to help guys out. A lot of times you see a lot of people moving. Well, hey, this move. A lot of times what you see is coaches that are leaving a job, they're leaving because they're being pushed out the nest. Maybe a staff, a head coach doesn't want to fire a guy. So he helps him get another job because it's easier to get a job when you have a job. So I know that's that's the way it is in football. I'm assuming it is in, in other work. I just want to clear that up. I am not wanting to take up for Sean of the Saints, but merely clearing up because I know what the hell I'm talking about because I'm involved in it and have been for 30 plus years, as opposed to certain people that come on and talk about things that they know nothing about. They know nothing about the process. It has not been the way it played out. Um, look, Ryan if, if the Saints didn't want him, they would have let him go. If I think um, Ed had gone through the proper channels, I, I still think that Sean would have said, Ryan, look, remember what we talked about when we hired you. This is the plan. This is where we're going to go. If Ryan said to Coach, Coach, I'm not happy here. I want to move on. I'm, I know Sean. I've known Sean for 25 years. He's done that a lot of times. Guy can move on. Bill Johnson, who was with the Saints 
sent him on to LSU to help LSU for, for a while. I mean, there's, there's, so this narrative of this or that, the point is, is the saints are not the bad guy here. LSU is the incompetent group here. Don't get that confused. I think that's really important. Um, if you're in a position to develop your staff, to protect your staff, you're not responsible for helping the other school at the expense of what you're trying to do. Look, when I was at LSU, good relationship with the Saints, trying to help and always did stuff. When I was um, at Houston, you help every college program. I try to help every college program, but you know, with the Oilers and, and with the Titans, and of course that's Texas and Tennessee, the local schools, maybe you have a little bit of affinity for it because you may run across them at clinics and things a little bit more. And you might, because it's close proximity to go, Hey, why don't you come on over? We'll, we'll look at some cutups together and we'll share some ideas. You, you'll help them out. You, you do that a lot, but you, do you, everybody out there listening has friends. They have coworkers, they have people they like. If you help somebody out and they try to go around your back, well, what is that? I mean, the first thing you say, that son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, I'm trying to help them. And then, and I've done A, B, C, D, and E. And then instead of, I mean, what do you think? I'm not going to try to help you. I mean, if you come and ask permission, we'll have a conversation and I'll have a conversation with Ryan. And, you know, if that's the best thing for him and we can make it work, we'll absolutely encourage him and, and send him over. But if it's not the best thing for him, in our opinion, if it's not the best thing for us and you're going to go around our back after we've helped you, tell me on what planet is that being the bad guy? Who's the bad guy there? Who's the dysfunctional guy there? Pardon me. Hiccups today. Um, so I think that's really, um, the important thing that needs to be understood. Now, I don't want to take this off of, of, of just a personal thing, but just, you know, our, our specific thing, but in general, this is how it works. You know, I had relationships with, you know, local school, the, the university of Tennessee or something when I was at, at uh, with the Titans, I mean, you think it's my responsibility to, I mean, if there's somebody that can advance and get a job over there, certainly I try to help them, but am I going to do something to hurt my organization that I'm getting paid for to help somebody else? I mean, I, it has to be, it has to make mutual sense. Certainly people can understand that, but apparently when you're in the world of fandom and it's your team, it'll get put that way. And of course you've got members of the media, which are become nothing more than fans with no credentials, no credibility, no information really, but just, Hey, I, I read this on the internet and I'm going to go on my little show and talk about it. That's, you know, that, that that's, you know, that's ridiculous. And that, but that creates a narrative among a fan base, well, this or that. Look, I'll end it with this. And I told Sean, I told Ryan about this. You've got to be real careful about your future. 
Sean Payton is very well respected in football. Okay. You cross him, it hurts your future. That same respect doesn't go to Ed in the football business. I'm sorry. He's liked, lovable. I've known Ed for 35 years. But, you know, and I, you know, quite frankly, consider him a friend. But, but look, I mean, I consider a lot of people friends. Doesn't mean that the respect level in a certain aspect of a business is, is equally the same. So, uh, that's, I wanted to get into that. Uh, I'm going to get to some questions here uh, that you've got. We're going to get into some um, some latest on Tennessee, uh, University of Tennessee, as well as uh, look at some of uh, some the NFL games this weekend, conference championship games. Um, <clears throat> so Aaron, Aaron Shank, appreciate Aaron, you joining us. Let's see. Uh, Aaron says, hey, Chris, could you give your opinion on Brandon Staley? I thought the Chargers job would be day balls to lose after seeing his great work with Josh Allen. I figured the Chargers would go with an offensive guy for Herbert. Could you compare hiring Staley versus Dayball? Um, a lot of people thought it might go to Brian Dayball. And I do think it was something that was appealing with the work that he had done with Josh Allen. Um, in the hopes that he could do something similar with Justin Herbert would be great. That is a very good job. I think that is the most intriguing job in terms of returning talent. I know the Chargers have the most picks and the highest. Um, the Jaguars have the most picks and the highest picks, but the Chargers have the best roster. Um, the reason why, and Brandon Staley is a really, really good young coach. Did a great job for the Rams' defense. I think the whole key is what does he do for his offensive coordinator position? That's coming soon. I think that's going to be really good. It's going to be off the same McVay tree. That is going to, um, I think, really help Justin Herbert out. And I think that's that's really, really a good situation to be in. However. Um, I do think Brian Dayball would have been an outstanding fit. Two things. The main thing is Tom Telesco, the general manager there, has got a close connection, went to the same college, actually, as Brandon Staley. So the close connection was a big part of it. Um, And I think getting him in and having him put his staff together while Brian Dayball is still coaching, people – don't focus on this enough. And I know the focus has been a lot on Eric Bieniemy. Eric Bieniemy should be a head coach. I think he'd be a great fit in Houston with the Texans. But make no mistake, and I know with the lack of minority hiring, that is and should be discussed a great deal. However, what is not talked about enough is the most the more successful you are and the longer you are coaching into the season, the harder it is to get the job because it's harder to assemble that staff together if you're you gotta wait another week or two. So if you look at the history, it's usually, you know, guys that make it to the conference championship game or the Super Bowl, they usually have a harder time getting that job. You've got to squeeze the interview in, 
you're not going to have face-to-face interviews. That's hard. I would say that Brian Dayball's chances of getting that job would have been better had they lost last week than they won. Yep. I know it doesn't make sense from an on-the-field performance standpoint, but from a, you know, Brandon Staley can meet face-to-face with him. Now, in this case, it was unusual because he's right in the same city. But, you know, it's tough to to finalize a deal with Dayball. Is he going to want to do it? What is he going to want? We haven't got to that. Who's he going to bring in the staff? Well, we haven't got to that. we got to meet with him. It's the known versus the unknown. It's the bird in the hands better than two in the bush type theory. And, you know, <clears throat> at some point, agents and the candidates kind of give a little bit of a time frame of which they'll be considering it. So I think that happens a lot. I'm not saying that they wanted Dayball and wasn't willing to wait. I'm saying that they like what they had in Staley, and there's an unknown that they needed to vet a little bit more with Dayball in areas of which they could not vet because they didn't have the time to do it. Um, Rock says, let's see, what does Rock have here? Was Lenahan really that bad? Consider the bigger picture. Um, it's not that Linehan's bad, but Scott Linehan, of course, Rock is talking about Scott Linehan, the offensive coordinator of LSU this year. It was the symmetry wasn't really good. No, the biggest issue that they had was the lack of talent, quarterback situation, and even a good young quarterback uh, was injured, Miles Brennan. So they there was a there was a lot of dysfunction there. He was a part of it. I mean, he 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 didn't do a good job. Um, he was in charge of third down and red zone, and that package was not very good. Um, but to say that the problem was Scott Lenahan, no. It was more of a, we got a major problem here, and we're going to do some house cleaning, so we're going to fire both coordinators, and we're going to shuffle the staff, and you know how that works. What was um, my assessment of the Browns' offensive strategy versus the Chiefs? Um, I had no problem with it. You look at how much nickel the Chiefs play. Their strength, I think, running the football is what you want to do, maybe even a little bit more. Um, But, you know, you also have to take some chances when you're down and you got to make some big plays. Look, I think that one of the things you have to do and one of the things Kevin Stefanski has done a very good job of is marginalizing and minimalizing some of the mistakes that Baker Mayfield has made. And I think doing that has really helped that cause of him settling a little bit. Now, you still see some of that come out, but I, I thought it was pretty good. It got back in the game. Uh, I don't think it was game plan that was the issue. Rich Coach says, asks, what led to the decision to firing um, Doug Peterson um, of the Eagles? Well, there's, it was Howie Roseman. Um, it's Howie Roseman is the GM, not a football guy, but he has the owner's ear and he's kind of survived a few regimes and he's, his title ought to be vice president of taking credit and shifting blame. Um, Doug was not, despite the fact he won a Super Bowl, was not a great game day coach was not a great play caller. I thought he was good. I don't think his firing was necessarily deserved, but I think they can do better. 
But the biggest problem there is Howie Rosman. And it's been a problem there for a while. So that's what led to it. It's just when you've got a guy that is backstabbing the coach the entire time and the owner doesn't see it as backstabbing, you, you begin to get a little bit of a problem there. Appreciate Jig's dad and, and Aaron cheering us on. Um, Chris, or Jig's dad said, Chris, are you familiar with Terry Samuel? He's a good recruiter. Will he be a good wide receiver coach? Yes. I don't know if you saw it, uh, mentioned it in our uh, coaching search notebook. I think it was Thursday or Friday we had it. I, I can't remember now. Kerry Samuels, the new receiver coach at Syracuse. Dick that's a really good Syracuse fan. Um, I think he's really good. You know, you know my feeling on it. Love the place. Um, you know, got a, a special affinity for it. Um, since I, I think I mentioned to you once, I, I talked with Pascaloni about going there once briefly. Um, and enjoyed my visits over there, uh, and, you know, eating a nice meal at Grimaldi's and, um, you know, um, but you're, you're limited. So you're looking at, you know, not being able to attract the best guys with the most money. And, and I think Terry's pretty good for what they got. Um, uh, Jigset says, when are you going to make some of the Landry football gear available to the public? You know, I, I asked. I did ask that. One of you have asked that before. So I asked the guy about, um, you know, doing that. And he says it's not worth it. it apparently, when, you, when you're when you in that uh, embroidery business, you need to do, like, a whole bunch. Like, in other words, you can't do, you know, a dozen or two dozen. you got to have, like, 100 pieces or something. Well, we'd have to get you know, I guess, um, you know, enough people that are interested in it and we need to get, you know, probably enough for them to make it worthwhile. I I'm fine with it. I, I don't, I don't make it. I, it was, was done for me. And, um, I, I don't, I, I don't have the answer to that it's kind of not my, I did ask him though. So I guess the answer is we got to get like enough of an order to do that. So I, uh, I apologize. I buy two hats, Kevin Kilogan. No, I, I get it. Um, I did. I if I can um, if I can get enough, I guess I can go to him and say, "How about you know maybe we'll do that." You, you send, hey, we get we'll get um, figure out if people want hats or whatever. Then then we'll do that. That'll that'll be great. You can wear it on a golf course or whatever. So uh, I will I will run that by him again. But uh, that was that was brought up, and that's what I was told. Uh, Rec Westfall says, what is your honest assessment of Frost and Nebraska? I thought it would work. Instead, they're sloppy and lacking playmakers. Plenty of defections. What gives? The Nebraska situation, if people don't know Rock, Rock's a very, very astute follower and listener with us. Um, a lot of ties to Wisconsin. He goes back enough and remembers the great days of Coach Devaney and Coach Osborne. So here's here's my thought on, you know, I can't answer anything quick, diary of the mouth as I am. Um, Nebraska built their program in an era where games weren't on TV a whole lot. Now, Nebraska would be on TV – 
Well, Oklahoma, Nebraska is on TV every year, as you know. And for those of you that are young and don't remember when there was one game on TV a week, you know, Oklahoma, Nebraska was on at least once a week. And then when you got more games, they were on maybe another time. But so the old big A days, here's how Nebraska did it. Nebraska, they had some real sugar daddy money. Um, like a lot of people did. They invested in facilities. They were the first program to really emphasize the strength and conditioning program. Uh, Dr. Boyd Epley was the, the first real strength coach named strength coach. You hear that strength coach. It's maybe the most important hire that you have. He was the real first one. What Nebraska did is they had a lot of kids in that region, Nebraska, and the few states around it, they would get a lot of kids that were, I call them the big corn-fed kids that maybe had baby fat, and they put them through the walk-on program, and those kids would love to come. Now, they they took care of their walk-ons. There were academic scholarships that and need-based scholarships that weren't part of the scholarship limitation, and they took those kids, and those kids would redshirt, and by the end of their redshirt year, they had lost their baby fat, and they began to put on good muscle, and they began to develop. And if you looked at Nebraska year in and year out, their offensive line, some of their defensive line, but mainly their offensive line were pretty much mostly fifth-year seniors meaning they had spent five years or retreat year development. And so they put a lot of emphasis on developing in growing those guys. And then they were able to go out and use their scholarships elsewhere. Now, before the scholarship limits, they could really go into different areas. When Dr. Tom got in and you started to have scholarship limits, they really emphasized the walk-on program. They really emphasized saving the scholarships to go into the Floridas and other places to get skill guys. So they combined the power with speed. The other thing that they did, they really took care of their assistants. So Nebraska and Penn state were the two programs that you'd look and you'd have guys, the Frank Solich running back coach for 23 years. And Charlie McBride was there for 30 something years and on and on and on. They ran the same system, the same offense. They would run it out of maybe a little bit different looks. But when you do constant, you know, simplicity with constant repetition with very limited teams that even could compete with you in the big eight days, it was dominant. So you had an easier schedule. I mean, think about it. Colorado at points in times were good at sometimes under Coach McCartney, really good. But it was Nebraska, it was Oklahoma, and a merry band of six other guys. And they didn't play the toughest schedule out of conference. Oh, they played some teams that were good. And Nebraska could compete, of course. But they were a given to be undefeated and win by wide margins back in the 70s. Okay, so they had walk-on program, an advanced weight conditioning program, they had coaching staffs that they took care of that were there forever. So they had, it was always constant stability. 
And they, in addition to the weight room, they put together a really nice football facility that was better than most. So in an era where you didn't see teams, and you saw Notre Dame on TV, and saw Michigan, you'd see, you know, Adam, you'd see a few teams. Nebraska was one of them at least once a year. Kids would go, they'd get kids on a visit, and yeah, it was cold, but they'd go to Nebraska and they'd see this is like, this is like football city. This is like football heaven. They emphasize football. The unbelievable nutrition center, how they fed them, what they did, the dorm rooms, um, the, the weight room, as I mentioned, the football ops, really advanced. Nebraska had it before, before anyone nicer than anyone. Everybody had it, but to the degree that it was nice, they were the forerunners. Okay. So they make money. They've sold out every game in Lincoln since 1962, okay? So John F. Kennedy was president the last time they had never sell out at home. Okay, so they made money there, <clears throat> relatively speaking, not the money you make today, but they made good money, and they put good money, and they had good booster money there. So they took care of everybody. Stability, and you thought about elite programs, you thought about Nebraska, whether you were in California, whether you were in Florida, whether you're in Chicago, whether you're in New Orleans, whether you're in Dallas, Texas was big because you didn't see a lot of other people. You saw a finite group of programs. Well, what's happened over the years? Yes, Dr. Tom and, you know, Dr. Tom coached in an era where Nebraska was on TV a lot, but over time, not just all falling off a cliff. Think about it. Everybody's on TV. Everybody has great facilities. So you don't need to go and haven't need to go on to Nebraska to have the great facilities since the 70s. When it started to get a little bit different in the 80s, I mean, like, for example, we'd have a kid in New Orleans come in. Our facilities in the 80s, when I was uh, an assistant at LSU, our facilities were nothing. They were awful. Awful. You, the kids go to Nebraska. They think, well, they care a lot more at Nebraska. They do things right at Nebraska over at LSU. It's, I mean, I mean it, it's big. At Tiger Stadium was great, but our offices were, you know, three coaches in a room and in a in a closet. I mean, it just not. It it didn't didn't have a good look. And Nebraska took advantage of that. When everybody started to have great facilities and great weight rooms, well, then Nebraska no longer had something that no one else had. So they didn't have something to sell that was unique. They were still good. Dr. Tom still did a good job because he built off of what he had. Coach Solich took it over, and I don't think did a bad job at all. But back then, going nine and three wasn't what they were used to. Dr. Tom won two titles. Well, let me remind you, Coach Osborne had the stigma of can't win the big one. I mean, it, always a bridesmaid, never a bride, you know, until he did. And then he did again. And Bobby Bowden had that, uh, you know, it's all that, all that nonsense. So gradually after, you know, Frank Solich was let go, I think they started to lose a little bit more ground. 
I think that the move to the Big Ten, I, I, look, I, I'm old school traditionalist. When I think Nebraska, I think because their best days, as I'm sure you do, Rock, you think of the old Big Eight days. And Oklahoma, Nebraska, I'm going to tell you something. Oklahoma, Nebraska, Thanksgiving weekend, I, I, you, you really didn't get any better. That was something you look forward to 365 years. Doesn't even exist anymore. Nebraska geographically fits fine in the Big Ten, right there with, you know, with Wisconsin and Iowa. But their identity football-wise, their football success life was tied to OU Nebraska. Well, they lost that. So you lose, you go to the Big Ten, you lose a little bit of your southern roots in recruiting because now, in in addition to all the other things that I mentioned, Now you're having to, if you're going to recruit in Texas and Florida, it's one thing to be recruiting there where your parents can maybe go to games and see you. But if you're in the Big Ten and you're going there, it's it's tougher. The Big Ten's recruiting area, and I realize people recruit nationally, but the Big Ten recruiting base is not as fertile as the SEC recruiting base or the Big 12 recruiting base because of Texas. And Nebraska lost a lot of that. So did Colorado, by the way. But we're talking about Nebraska now. So you look, all those things together add up. And then you've had bad administrators. I think that Steve Peterson really kind of messed things up. We're going to do things differently. And Steve was, Steve was an administrative assistant back in the Tom Osborne days. And, and so he had a connection, but for some reason – I'm going to put my stamp on it. And then, then you go hire the Bill Callahan's who Bill Callahan's one of the brilliant run game coaches around, but fits as a head coach. And all that became, we're going to do this and do that. And it just, again, I think they have lost their identity. So all of that together is what led to them. So what do you have now? Great facilities program in the big 10, you know, but they lost they no longer are that school that could do what they did in the championship years. The question is, why can't they be Wisconsin? Why can't they be Iowa? Well, the answer is very simple. Look at the stability. Now, Wisconsin's had a few coaches that have moved on, but they've had good hire after good hire that's worked. Well, one exception, but they've had pretty much good hires. Iowa's had <clears throat> Kurt Ferentz, stability. Nebraska has not had that. So you throw in everything I said, now you throw the lack of stability, it doesn't work. So why hasn't Scott Frost not worked? Well, just because you went to the school doesn't mean that you're going to bring back to, you know, the way it was when you played. To be honest with you, Nebraska should be a souped-up version of what an Iowa and a Wisconsin is. I think they've got – they've let generations go by. See, most peop, most kids don't know Nebraska. Most people think Wisconsin has a better tradition and Iowa has a better tradition than Nebraska because kids that – you know, you, if you're 25 years old, maybe even 30, you don't even know Nebraska being good. It's been a long time. So you've lost that in that time that it's regressed to where you don't even have generations that know they were good – 
that becomes a bigger, bigger problem, bigger, bigger issue. So what they, in my opinion, need to do is play to their strength, become a better developmental program, which they have not had good coaching there for a long time. They haven't developed very well at all. Now, some have been worse than others, but none of them have done a really good job. I thought so. Coach Solich, it dropped a bit, but he was better than the rest. I thought Bo Pelini did a better job than some, but still wasn't good. They have made bad hires, and they've had bad administration. And I know Coach Osborne went in for a while, and but they even they couldn't even get that done well. So the point is, like anything else, you can fix it with better hires in a better fit. So how do you fix it? Well, I think what you want to do there is I think you want to do it a lot. I think you want to be able to have some success. Yeah, you can recruit athletic quarterbacks. You can you can run. Why can't you run an offense that has some physical element to it but has some RPO built in? Of course you can. You got to recruit it. You got to know how to coach it. They haven't done a very good job. Why can't you develop a little bit more in defense? And I'm going to tell you what they did. And I told you that they developed their offensive line and they saved their scholarships there. They also recruited a hell of a lot of athletes back in the day on defense. The black shirts were a son of a gun. I coached against them in the Sugar Bowl twice. Quite the ass kicking, okay? Um, They're good. They don't recruit at that level. And I think so they've lost it. But I do think what you have to do is you have to develop it enough to where you can then build off it in recruiting. But I think they've, they've I, that's a very, very long answer. I apologize, but I really get into this stuff and I like to go into in depth because I think when you don't, this forum is for that. Maybe I won't cover as many stuff, but I'll be back. I'll be back tomorrow with the Landry Football Podcast. I address a lot of things, but I rather address things a little more slowly, be in depth, explain it. And then I'll get to the next thing later instead of answering three things halfway. And maybe it makes some sense, but not thorough enough. Um, uh, Kevin, were you surprised that the Rams defensive line got pushed around by the Packers a little bit? Well, I think the Packers offensive line is good, but you got to remember something. Aaron Donald was not right. He was injured. So that was a big part of why they got pushed around. Um, Rich Coach says, out of the pass catching backs Tom Brady has had in the in the past, which of the backs has had more success in the passing game with Brady at the helm? Um, I think Kevin Falk was probably as good as any. Jig's dead. Uh, yes, it was uh, rock the game. Uh, yes, it was. Oh, yeah. Yep. Game of the year. Great thing. Yeah. All right. So uh, those are some thoughts. All right. So we head to the playoffs, uh, championship games this week. Um, unbelievable what Tom Brady has done over his career. Unbelievable what, um, how many conference championship games he's found himself in and been a part of and contribute greatly to getting there. This is a real intriguing game. I look at Tampa as a team that, took advantage of some critical mistakes by the Saints. Um, and that's, you know, more games in football are lost than one. They did a really good job. What's their ability to run the football here? Health of Ronald Jones, that hamstring 
doesn't look right. You can run the football on the Packers. If they can, they do run the football, it's going to be imperative because I think that even, um, even with the ability of Brady to come back, you don't want to get in a shootout, shootout with Aaron Rodgers. Right now, Aaron Rodgers can do more, put more on his shoulders than Brady can. Brady's the greatest of all time. I get that. Aaron Rodgers right now can do more. So in order for this game to go in the Bucks' favor, and I'm going to go into it a little bit more in depth on Landry Football Podcast tomorrow. That's kind of be the focus of these championship games. I want to touch on it a little bit. But you've got to be able to run the football. I think that's going to certainly reduce the time that, that Aaron Rodgers gets his hands on the ball. But I think he can run the football on the pack. But you got to stay committed to it. And if you don't have success doing it, I don't think the pack can win this game. I don't think the excuse me the Bucks can win this game uh, against Green Bay if they don't run the football well enough. I do think that Green Bay is going to move the football on Tampa. I think that they're going to have success. I think that they're going to blitz. I think they'll get to Rodgers some, but there's going to be some big plays to be had. And I don't think Tampa can score with Green Bay if it's a back-and-forth game. So I think this game has to be shortened. I think the Bucks have to run it. I think there's a formula to do it against Green Bay. Uh, I'm going to get into great detail on LandryFootball.com when we have more time. Buffalo, Kansas City. Look, I give Buffalo a really good shot. I really do. I said this on the Film Room Show last night here in this channel that I think Kansas City's best game is better than Buffalo. I think they win. I think they win maybe even decisively. But I do think Kansas City has lulls in games that prevents them from showing their A game on a consistent basis. I think Buffalo's well-rounded, very good, big moment for them on the road. All those things are applicable in this game. But I do think that Kansas City is going to have to be sharp. You know, last week, I get it, you know, some of the issues, Cleveland getting back, a lot to do with the injury to Mahomes. I believe the home Mahomes are gonna uh is gonna play. I don't anyway he doesn't play. So I'm assuming everything that he's playing and he'll play well. That's what I think. Um the issue with beating Kansas City is even when they don't play their best, even when they make mistakes, they have the biggest eraser I've seen in modern history. They can come back and just blow it up. I mean, they can just absolutely take over a game. As I said before, they're down 17 points in the fourth quarter and they got three possessions. Give me Kansas City. They're probably going to win the game. I mean, it's just they it, – It's it, if they're going to lose it, it's going to have to be somebody drops the ball or the defense gives up a big play. I mean, it's you know, they are – they're so they're tough to finish off. Now, the Chiefs have been rightly criticized for not being able to finish off opponents and playing in a lot of one-possession games, but it is really tough. It is really tough to kill the chiefs because they're always can come back to life. So this is going to be interesting. I, um, so I'm going to get into more of it tomorrow, more of a breakdown, more in Landry football before we head on out. 
Um, Rock says, does Arians, meaning Bruce Arians, public critiques of Brady serve to motivate him? Seems to, let, let me tell you this. That wasn't public. That was by design. That was with Brady's blessing. That's his way. Brady always does that to make sure to get the young guys on that team to respond so that when Brady jumps their rear end and Aaron's has to jump their rear end, hey, Brady's not getting any special treatment. The head coach is calling them out. Trust me, that was done in concert. They discussed that behind the scenes before it went public. So, yeah, that's that's absolutely the case. All right, listen, appreciate you joining us. Check out LandryFootball.com. Spread the word about what we're doing here. Spread the word about LandryFootball.com if you would. We've got some things that we're going to be working on uh, to try to even improve the channel, get more people on, get some young people on, give their views on, on different things in uh, the sports world and the football world. So we're really excited about that. Uh, but check out LandryFootball.com. Take advantage of our holiday discount, which we still have. We're going to switch that over really quickly. So take advantage of that right now, will you? Um, all the film room breakdowns, all the coaching search nuggets and information, we got it all for you there. Recruiting, uh, roster analysis, uh, one-stop shopping, football, LandryFootball.com. Um, check out this podcast. Check out uh, – uh, are all the podcasts that we have. Chuck Oliver will be on midday again today as he is every weekday. I'll be on tomorrow with the Landry football podcast. Our day starts off with Miller and Moulton in the morning. You can check those guys out from Florida. Uh, I'll be back with SEC football and beyond with Neil McCready on Friday. So um, we're looking to add a lot of things. So we appreciate your support. Uh, we uh, would appreciate you spreading the word. We appreciate all the great comments and all the uh, questions from Rock and Jig's dad and and uh, Kev Belargo and uh, Igamos Bra and Rich Coates, uh, Aaron Shank. Appreciate Aaron being with us. So really appreciate it. We're doing this here for you. So thank you for joining us. Spread the word. And we'll talk to you on next week on another edition of Scouts Eye on Football. I am Chris Landry. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.